0: to the book of Ephesians. Guys, we're in a series right now. We're preaching and teaching through a text. We don't always do it this way, but we have over the summer. We've preached through the six chapters of Ephesians, Paul's book to the letter of Ephesus. Ephesus is in present day Turkey. Ephesus was the epicenter of Asia. It was, it, was the, it was the Rome of the Roman Empire, but in Asia, the city that you were looking to, the Los Angeles, the New York City, it was this place called Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesians, and this letter gets passed around to all of the churches in the Asian province. And he gives them uh, this idea of, of how to operate and how to live and what to believe about yourself. It's an incredible letter. In the first few chapters, he reminds you who you are as a Christian if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Then he reminds you how to live if this is in fact who you are and who you say you are. Well, this is how someone who says they are live. And if you aren't living this way, stop living that way and start living this way. And so you're reminded that you're blessed. You're reminded that you're a son and a daughter of the king. You're reminded that you're chosen. You're reminded that God has called you. All of these amazing truths that you can stand on. And then we get to the cherry on the top. Ephesians chapter 6. And Pastor Jason spoke uh, a great message. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. My wife and I were out of town for a funeral last week. But from what I heard, it was a great message on how our relationships can be a mirror of how Jesus loves the church. And so you see this writer, his name is Paul. Most prolific apostle, most gifted apostle. There are more signs and wonders and miracles happening around his life. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's just kind of, he's just listing things at this point. And they don't always feel connected. But he's giving people truths and they may feel random, but if they, live your life this way. And he gets to Ephesians 6. And one of the most quoted passages in all of the Bible is coming up. Before we get there, verse 20. This is his conclusion to this letter. He says, finally, deep breath. <gasps> Finally, because he's written about all kinds of different things. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, if you're a fan of movies like I am, I immediately think of things like Gladiator. I think of Russell Crowe. I think of you know the plate of armor. I think of the helmet. I think of being in the arena, the Colosseum. I think of a war and a fight that's taking place. Put on the full armor of God so that you can resist the devil's schemes. Now, when you're in a car, like I was this past week, we started out in D.C., then we got the news that a family member had passed away. Amy's grandfather, my wife's grandfather, passed away. So we flew to Atlanta, got in a car, drove to Nashville, picked up our kids that were staying with Papa and Gigi, drove to Indiana, then drove back to Nashville, then drove south to Columbia, then drove back to Nashville, then drove back to to Atlanta. Four kids. Jesus kept me alive. That's all I have to say about that. But when you're in a car and you're a pastor and you're you're constantly thinking about things that you're preaching or teaching, this is actually some great time. Put on the full armor of God. My paraphrase, so that you can resist the devil's schemes. I love words. I like understanding what words mean. There's power in what we say. And if there's anyone who chose his words carefully, it's Paul. He was a lawyer by trade, or at least trained to be a lawyer, excuse me. And he uses this word scheme, which is a large scale. The definition of a scheme is a large scale systematic plan. In other words, you have an enemy that you need to be able to stand against, that you need to be strong against, that you need to be mighty against, because he is scheming against you. And that scheme isn't just this little lightweight thing where you stub your toe on the, you know, the, the, the dishwasher and you want to cuss. That isn't his scheme against your life, although that does stink. There is a large-scale, systematic plan that Satan has for your life. It's called a scheme, and he is working masterfully to try to derail you, to discourage you, to make you unfruitful. I'll say it this way if you're taking notes. The devil has a highly developed plan for systematically rendering you useless in God's kingdom. That's what it means that we have an enemy that is scheming against us. But for many of us, especially if you've grown up in the South and were Bible Belt Christians, we get so content with being part of church, and church is wonderful, and Christianity is great, and I listen to Christian radio, and and I just exist in God's kingdom. I exist in it. I'm a part of it. I love it. It's, It's cultural. And we forget the reality that you have an enemy who is doing everything he can to tear you apart. To drive you away from being fruitful and effective. And my question for you this morning is, are, is your life fruitful? Are you being effective in God's kingdom? And then another question to ask yourself is, do you feel resistance? Do you feel like there's a fight? Because if Satan is smart and we have a whole body of people who are content to just simply exist in God's kingdom, well, if I am him, I'm not spending a whole lot of time trying to implement this highly systematic plan of derailing a body of Christians from being fruitful if they're not trying to be fruitful. Does this make sense this morning? And so my my question, it's rhetorical, is do you feel resistance? And if there is never any resistance in your life and you just exist as a Christian, it could be that you're not living a very fruitful and effective life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now that might sound hurtful. (laughs) I'm not trying to be. But understand that we see much of the New Testament devoted to trying to help believers move beyond simply believing, but being believers who bear fruit. And if you are determined that God is going to bear fruit in your life and through your life, I have a promise for you. You are going to experience resistance. And it isn't just life, and it isn't just the brokenness of humanity. There is an enemy who hates your guts. And he is doing everything he can to render you useless. You guys with me? this right here is spiritual warfare for me. I want you to know that. <laughs> okay. It's not really. <clears throat> Track with me here. Uh, we're going to get a little historical here for a second. But you know what? Theology is good. Understanding context is great. And for many of us, uh, for many of you, if you've grown up, again, with a little bit of faith in the, in the, in the, in the back pocket, again, it's easy to not understand the fullness of what we're talking about here. First Corinthians 16,8 through nine is going to give us a little bit of context for what's happening in Ephesus. Paul's writing a letter to the church, and while he's in Corinth, we get a glimpse of what things were like when he was there. And he says to the, to the people there, the elders, that he writes this letter in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9, he says, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. So Paul arrives in Ephesus and he senses a door opening for him. God's opening this door, and he is attempting to step through it. And as he does so, he experiences great opposition. Great opposition is always, great opportunity, excuse me, is always met with great opposition. What are the opportunities in your life? You might be a doctor. You might be a lawyer, you might be retired, you might be a student. What are the great opportunities that God is opening for you that you might see his kingdom advanced? What opportunity did you need to walk through? What door is open for you that as you walk through, you will be greeted? With opposition, He says something else that I find fascinating. Not only is great opportunity met with great opposition, he writes later on in 1 Corinthians 15, 29-32. He says, I face death every single day. Just as sur- surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He says something here about Ephesus. And I want you, uh, the only reason we're, we're looking at Corinth right now, and what he writes to the, in the book of Corinthians, is it gives you context for the battle that he's facing. He says, if I faced wild beasts at Ephesus. He's talking about facing death. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than a human hope, what have I gained? In other words, if the only hope I have is just human, what am I doing with my life? But he says something here. He says, "If I'm fighting wild beasts, Ephesus was famous for something. It had a the temple was the greatest, one of the great. It was considered. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The greatest ancient wonder of the world." And it was the temple of Artemis. And people would come from everywhere to see it. Imagine the way people go to the Grand Canyon or they go to, uh, you know, uh, the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And they're mesmerized at what was built or what was created. Well, people would come and this temple is devoted to the goddess of Artemis. And interesting to note, the the Artemis, the goddess of Artemis, is the goddess of the hunt and the goddess of wild beasts. As Paul's writing, he says, Pray for me. Pray that I would be fearless in preaching the gospel. Now, this is a man who has been beaten stoned has been losing some of his eyesight has been left for dead has been without food has been stripped naked has been whipped has been chained to a wall the list goes on and on and on and so when he says pray for me I've got open doors but I'm facing great opposition Pray for me that I would be fearless. In other words, it's easy for me to be afraid. Because there's a great opportunity that has been presented before him, but great opportunity is always met with great opposition. What is Paul being opposed by? He's being opposed by the demonic forces and schemes that have taken root in a city and culture of Ephesus. Think about all the things that happen as he's ministering in this great city. I'm just going to run down the list here. Paul begins to preach in Ephesus, and within three months, people don't like it, and they throw him out of the synagogue. Now this is a city that is steeped and is worldwide known, or at least in Asian provinces, known for its worship of a goddess. They are renowned for it. That's the culture. He's forced from the synagogue, but his preaching is so powerful that his handkerchief they're getting stolen from him while he's resting. He's got a workshop, right, and and he's got got this handkerchief that he's wiping his sweat with, and when he sets it down for a rest, people are coming by and swiping that thing, and they're laying it on sick people, and sick people are being made well, and evil spirits are being driven out. That's how prolific this is. The other thing that they were stealing was his very work apron. Imagine working in the kitchen. Imagine you're a chef baking muffins. And your life is so powerful and so significant that when you take your apron off and you hang it on the closet door, somebody comes by and steals it because they are so convinced that if they can just lay this on somebody that's sick, they'll be made well. That's what we're talking about here in Ephesus. Evil spirits are driven out and people are getting set free. People are getting healed. The sick are being made well. And then you have this interesting story in Ephesus of copycat ministers. Except they've heard of what Paul does, and they, they hear, they've heard of this, the name of Jesus, and so they begin to incur the name of Jesus, and they're charging a fee for exorcisms. Only they pick the wrong demon to exercise. And as they begin to pray in the name of Jesus for a person to be delivered, the man looks at them and says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. And seven guys have their behinds physically whooped and they're driven out. And people are so rattled by the realities of what following Jesus and actually knowing him looks like that the city is filled with the Holy Spirit's conviction. And so what do they do? They begin to get all of their magic books and their scrolls and they bring it out to the town square and they have a good old-fashioned book burning, a scroll burning, and the amount of money they they surmised the amount of money that they would have made if they had sold these would have been 50,000 drachmas, which today, ladies and gentlemen, is several million dollars. So when we talk about opening, God opening doors for a city to be changed, we're not just talking, church, about people feeling good because they've gone to a great church service. We're talking about people being transformed being made completely new from the ground up we're talking about social structures being completely changed think about what the gospel is doing people are being made well evil spirits are being driven out people are getting rid of their scrolls and their magic books in the amount of multiple millions of dollars the, 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 the difference in life was so pronounced that people who were turning to Jesus were being known as people who followed the way. Because the way was so prolific and it was so identifiable that literally it got its own name. You're part of the way. In fact, Idol worship became such a thing of, of, not the past, but it was on, it was on such decline that the silversmith, Demetrius, who made his money crafting, molding, and selling idols for temple worship, his band of silversmiths were losing so much money. Their pride was on their line. Their well-being was on the line. And there's so much impact being made in the city that the last resort that they have is to stir up an angry mob and to try to throw Paul out of the city. So when Paul says, pray for me, when Paul says, I've got amazing open doors, but there are many who oppose me, I'm fighting wild beasts up in this joint. He is fighting literally the principalities and the dark beings at bay that are scheming against a city, that are scheming against people like you and I, that we would be stuck, that we would be entrenched, that we would be unable to get free and to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is what Paul is fighting against. And when we talk about what's getting ready to hit us in Ephesians 6, we aren't talking about you stubbing your toe on the refrigerator. We're talking about you and I being called into a spiritual battle. And the minute you say, Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you, you have enlisted, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you choose to go to fight or not is a different story. But the enemy will fight you. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, we finally get to this moment. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In addition to all of this, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Put on the armor of God. Why would you put on the armor of God if you have not been called to a fight? You haven't been called to put on the full armor of God so that you can just take your Christian faith and sit on the couch. No. You have been called to a battle. And I want you to hear this, ladies and gentlemen, because some of you are facing battles right now, and in your mind, it's just been, it's just been the way of the world. It's just been, well, this is just Life. And so you've been trying to lead yourself through that difficult moment or that challenging situation in your own ability, and in your own strength and in your own power and in your own talent. I do this more often than I would like to admit. I try to do things in my own strength, in my own wisdom and in my own ability. And what we have to understand is that there is a battle that you and I have been called to. There are fights that you and I have been called to fight and we cannot fight them in our own strength and in our own ability, with our own talent, and with our own wisdom. We need the Spirit of God moving powerfully in our lives. We need the full armor of God. You need to put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. You need your feet fitted with the readiness of peace. You need the sword of truth. You need the shield of faith. I know I'm getting loud and I'm shouting. And I'm sweating now. But guys, the reason I'm animated is because we miss this. Church and being a a Christian is about going to a church. Church. Experiencing something good and going and getting Mexican food after Sunday service. Then you go home and you live your life completely unchanged. Only then get up and we go to church again. And we forget that there is a battle and a fight. There is a fight for your marriage. You got to know it. Amy and I were talking about this at the kitchen table. When you're single, Satan's scheme for you is to do any single thing he can possibly do to get you together with somebody. It doesn't matter who, just anybody. You need a relationship, you gotta have it. And he derails you through it. When you're single, he does anything he can to put you together. And when you're married, he does every single thing he can to pull you apart. There is a fight. And it is not just flesh and blood. It is spiritual. There are things in our city that we do not see with our naked eye that we have to be on the offensive about. What do we do about that? How do we actually get practical with this? Because Paul, this is his concluding letter, and he is going to die. These are his final thoughts on the matter. and so he reminds this group the early these churches who they are in Christ Jesus he reminds them who they're not in Christ Jesus and then he blows the trumpet and he says now it's time to go fight put on your armor and let's get to work now that fills me with something as a man it makes me just want to right But understand something. Because we can overcomplicate this. And I'm going to reduce it down to things that you've heard a thousand times. But if you're going to put on the full armor of God, and the truth of righteousness is going to be belted around you, and you're going to have God's peace on your feet, the breastplate the helmet, the sword, the shield. Where, where, How do you do this? I will submit to you this morning that you cannot do this if you do not get in the Bible to read the scriptures and that if you do not grow fervently in your capacity to pray. Now, when you're, in, when you're in high point kids or, you know, if, you're, if you went to Bible class growing up, Bible school growing up, and, you know, your teacher would ask you the Bible question, everybody would say, Jesus, you know, and, and of course it's the right answer. Well, sometimes the same things can exist here, right, in, in our cafeteria. Read your Bible, pray, and accept it's true. Now, I'm not suggesting that somehow when you read your Bible, you are just, you know, you are He-Man instantaneously or She-Ra or some other superhero, Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, I don't care. But if you're going to know who you are in Christ Jesus, then you have to know what God says about you in Christ Jesus. And the only way we can do that is by reading this word and knowing who God says that you and I are. We have to grow to love it. Now, understand this. If Satan is scheming against you, is it any surprise then that every single time you go to crack your Bible, how do you feel? Exhausted? Tired? Oh, I'm so tired instantaneously. You had all the energy in the world five minutes prior, and the second you open the Bible, it's like a slow coma begins to just fall over you. Why? Because the enemy is not dumb. He is not stupid. And you need to understand that if every single time you're opening the Bible, you're instantaneously fatigued, there's something that you've got to fight against here. Because you need to be growing in the knowledge of who you are. You've got to shake that off. You've got to fight. And it begins with praying. You need to be part of a local church and, like, really be part of the local church. But how is it that on Sunday morning, it's like there's every single activity has presented itself to me. There's so many great things to do. There's an amazing game on TV. There's there's so many options. And also, my bed feels amazing right now. You have to resist the flesh. And you have to fight against it. Why is it every time you get on your knees to pray, you just say to yourself, I don't even know what to say? I'm exhausted by this. God, I'm praying, but I don't even feel like you're hearing anything. Is this even making it past the ceiling? These are things that we really think and feel. And when we consistently, as a body of people, all seem to think and feel the same thing, you need to understand that this is not simply you having an odd day. This is part of the devil's scheme against you to keep you from growing into the fullness of who you are so that he can render you useless in God's kingdom. You own a business, I love it. God wants you to use that business to make money, to bless people, and to advance his kingdom. That is a fact. Are you married today? Great. God wants to use your family to bless people and advance his kingdom. Do you own a home? Fantastic. Praise God. He wants to use what you own to bless people and advance his his kingdom. Are you a student at Kennesaw State or Reinhardt or Oglethorpe or Life University? Congratulations. He wants you to get great grades, get a great job, and while you're there, use what he's given you to love people and advance his kingdom. You are not the end user in what God has done in your life. And that means you've got to put on the full armor of God so that you can resist the enemy, that you can fight against him. His wicked schemes that are against you. Tracking with me this morning? It is good. It's truth. And we need to be reminded of it stand to your feet this morning Lord I pray right now for our church in the heat of the summer God with no no instruments behind us no band playing no no anything but just God, you, the silence of your presence right here, right now. God, I'm asking that you would fill us afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm praying that you would remind us who we are. God, that you would light a fire inside of us to be fruitful. But God, that we would not be blind to the schemes of the enemy. Lord, that we would trust you. God, that we would pick up the sword of truth. That we would strap on the full armor of God. That we would know what your word says. That we would be men and women who are fervent in prayer. God, knowing that there is an enemy, a foul, foul enemy enemy who is lurking around like a lion, whose desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Lord, by the authority of Jesus, we reject it right now. And we thank you for your good plans and your good purposes over our life. And like the great city of Ephesus way back when, we thank you, Lord, that you were using us God, not to simply be a a Christian that sits on the couch, but, God, Christians who literally are changing the fabric of their city, that the entire culture would begin to feel uprooting by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we speak that over Kennesaw. We speak that over Ackworth and Woodstock. God, that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would use us to do it. Use us, God. It's in your mighty and glorious name we pray.